so the fact that we've come to this point in 2022, I think is very holistic, right? It's, it's about public sentiment. It's about regulation. It's about the world kind of waking up to the situation that we're in. So in a sense, yes, it's been rapid, a rapid change for Uber, but I think it's been a rapid change for all of us. And, and we're sort of one part of that, that, that whole story. This is John Jirachi, founder of Upward, and you're listening to the Upward Podcast, where we'll be bringing you the people who are driving change and creating a world that we want to live in. Leading entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders talking about impact, transformation, profitability, and how to make it all work. My guest today is Eric Sokolovsky, sustainability engineering lead at Uber. Eric's long career has taken him from architecture to game design to working at the Exploratorium in San Francisco, to web engineering and data visualization. Along the way, he crossed paths with me at grad school at NYU's Interactive Telecommunications program. Now in his current role at Uber, Eric and his team enable Uber to meet its public commitments to zero out tailpipe emissions, help drivers transition to electric vehicles, and to build a greener platform. Welcome, Eric. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Great to see you after 15 years, however long it's been now. Maybe we shouldn't tell our audience. (laughs) <laughs> Not that long, yeah. Uh, so, Eric, um, let's start by telling us your story about how you came to be a sustainability engineering lead at Uber. It's an amazing title. I want to hear about it. Sure, thanks. I made the title up myself, so I'm glad you appreciate it. Um, I actually made the team up um, to some extent by myself as well, of course, with uh, all the help of the rest of the organization. But um, that was something that happened in February last year. Um, I think the story in 2021, I think the story starts before that, though, primarily at the Exploratorium, I'd say, which is a science museum in San Francisco. I was designing and building exhibits there, and a lot of the work that we were doing was interacting with um, with climate scientists. The work that I was doing was specifically around environmental sciences, and um, we would talk with scientists from NASA, from NOAA, and climate change. This is in 2008 to 2013, um, especially in the later years there, as we were putting together exhibits for the new building on Pier 15 on Embarcadero, um, which has a great view of the bay, great view of the city. And so it puts visitors in the the space of being able to both view exhibits, but also view the environment um, in the same context as the exhibits. So a lot of them were about you know, climate changes that were happening in the Bay Area. So rather than sort of in the abstract, very much what's happening in front of us right now. Um, and that, I think, kind of sparked the uh, the drive in me to do something related to climate. Um, I didn't find an opportunity to plug in directly on, on uh, climate action or sustainability for a while, though. I left the Exploratorium and um, took a job at Flickr doing the photo sharing website, doing front end engineering. I took a job from there at Stamen. Uh, data visualization design studio in, in San Francisco's Mission District. And then from there, I ended up working at, at Uber on data visualization. Um, while I was at Uber, uh, I realized that data visualization is something that matters to me, but it didn't feel like I was sort of scratching that itch to do something that had you know, moral value to provide value to the, the general public, et cetera. Um, and I was in a global all hands. That was that, that had Adam Gromis, our sustainability policy lead, as a speaker. And he was talking about the sort of nascent work streams around sustainability at Uber that he was spearheading. Um, and I decided that's that's the part to which I want to hitch my horse. To get that backwards, it's the horse to which I want to hitch my cart. 
So I, I sent him an email. I said, Adam, this is stuff that I really want to be involved in. How can I help as a data visualization expert? Um, 2018, we did a pilot um, looking at how we can uh, sort of motivate and activate EV drivers to get their riders more excited about the EVs that they were driving. Um, some bits and pieces here and there. 2020, we did our, our sort of big sustainability splash in September where we made our public commitments to zero out our tailpipe emissions um, over a series of, of milestones from 2025 to 2030 to 2040 globally. Um, and I guess I was just loud enough and persistent enough that around the turn of the year, 2020, 2021, um, I ended up being in a position to be able to take on this team, start the team from scratch. So in February, 2021, uh, I started looking for people to staff out the team and um, fast forward to here, we're about a year in now. That's amazing. So you uh, recapping, if I can, in my uh, small brained way, you you kind of pivoted from data visualization into sustainability and you sort of seen had a desire to get into that and, and were looking for your opening for a couple of years, it uh, sounds like, or I don't know if it was that uh, conscious for you. And then you saw your opening at Uber in 2020, uh, where you were doing data viz and, and jumped and went for it. All right. It was quite conscious. Yeah, I was I was pushing on it every chance I had an opportunity. Um, a lot of it was negotiations between my manager at the time and others about how I could split my time, um, how I could be more intentional about focusing on sustainability and not just have it be kind of relegated to whenever I had a spare moment. Um, it, it took a lot of additional effort, especially in 2020 when we were putting together the, the um, sustainability transparency report. And that was prior to you making your pitch to right. uh, the person who stood up at, okay. So how long was that? Like, what was that, that whole time? Uh, it was actually fairly close. So September, 2020 was when we did the um, transparency report um, and, and launched our commitments. The team, it looked like the team was going to be forming. I first got word, I think around December of 2020, sorry, 2020. And then February 2021 was when the team actually started, and I, I took the reins and um, with teams started up uh, a process to try and find people to staff the team, um, put together our initial kind of charter and vision and strategy by talking to all the sustainability stakeholders that I knew at that point in time, um, which at that moment in time was a relatively small um, group of folks globally, I would say on the order of less than 50. Um, but we actually just recently completed our first annual sustainability, global sustainability planning exercise for the year 2022. And at this point, we have uh, probably over 100 people globally who are working on sustainability related initiatives. So it's growing quite wow. rapidly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what is your job then? What does it actually entail? Um, as an engineering manager, it's both sort of, you know, identifying priorities and keeping things on the rail in terms of, uh, on the rails in terms of, uh, product deliverables. So our, our team is a product team. We build products that are not just focused on electrification, although that's a really large part of it. Um, there's also a lot of data products that help us understand, help us baseline our emissions. Um, so a lot of the carbon emissions reporting that is coming out of our company is based on the data stories that we put together for the last year. Um, so a lot of things that you might expect from sort of, you know, engineering teams, basically engineering product teams, 
And then also as an engineering manager, I'm a people manager. So a lot of what I do is to enable the growth of the individuals in my team to make sure that they feel aligned with the, the mission that we have on our team. Um, one of the lucky things about being an engineering manager or people manager for a mission-driven team is that the, the quality of people that you find is across the board quite high because they're, they're self-selected, the people who really are devoted to climate action and want to participate. Um, so it's, it's both, I would say, a little bit easier to source and hire um, and also a little easier to kind of keep folks focused on longer term career goals, keep them invested in the work that they're doing, help them understand the connection to the, the mission and to what sustainability means globally for Uber as a company. It's not easy, but it's, it's easier than on other teams. Yeah, I, I can imagine that the engagement on your team must be pretty high if people are kind of self-selecting into it, and uh, that's great. Um, and and the way you describe it, it I have this picture of. I mean, first of all, I interact with Uber in my hometown of New York, and wherever I fly, if I'm flying to you know Nebraska or Indianapolis or whatever, uh, but. I have to remember that Uber is worldwide, right? It's this gigantic, enormous network corporation. Uh, and so you and your team are doing this across the whole globe. Uh, and it sounds like the company wasn't doing much of it at all before 2020, uh, or maybe thinking about doing it, but not really doing it. And so you're sort of activating a whole global change. And that must be incredibly complex to, to work through. It is. And I should say, if I came off as taking credit for all of the great work that we're doing earlier, I, I really need to backtrack that. A lot of the early work was done primarily by the London team and other teams in the EU where the regulation, the regulatory risk is highest. Um, London actually got quite a, a jumpstart on this, as did Lisbon. Um, I think Lisbon was actually the first city where we offered Uber Green, the product that it's different market to market. Um, in some markets, it's only electric. In other markets, it's electric and hybrid. Um, but basically, a uh, uh, lower emission ride um, is, is the promise of, of Uber Green. Um, and there was a lot of work that was done individually by local teams, whether I think primarily operations teams, um, but to some extent also biz dev and policy, um, that formed sort of the, the baseline that I pulled from to establish the charter from the team in, in February. So actually, one of the first things that I did um, to develop that, that strategy in February 2021 was to send a survey out to everybody who I knew was working on sustainability and say, what matters to you in your market? What work have you done to date that you want to see scaled up? And that's kind of one of the, the primary goals of, um, I would say, of product teams at Uber generally, but definitely of sustainability tech in specific, uh, specifically, is that um, we, we aim to scale up the work that our operations teams do. Um, and given that sustainability, given that Uber has global sustainability commitments, global emissions reduction commitments, um, we are basically sort of following the lead of some of these markets who have really gone far, uh, far ahead with the other ones to figure out how we can replicate that in other markets. So the, and you say, the regs uh, risk, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was gonna say the, re the regulatory risk is highest in, in the EU and the UK primarily, and, and to some extent like in California, I was gonna say uh, US and Canada. But we're starting to see glimmers in a lot of other markets right now. And, and this really is the year that we're going to focus on being intentionally very global. So extending beyond those regions to Latin America, Middle East, to Africa, to India, to um, Asia Pacific, Australia, and New Zealand. 
So it's pretty amazing when you uh, think about it that you talk about 2020 as the year that this all started clicking into place. Sounds like there were, you know, local areas that were doing this before that, but it really started coming, you know, mainline in 2020. And now here we are in 2022 and you're already globalizing it, right? That's actually, I think, a, a, I would say a pretty fast change uh, to make for a global company with the complexity that, that Uber has. Um, and I was struck by something you said uh, that, and maybe I'm getting this wrong, but uh, <laughs> you said, I think, that one of your first... Uh, tasks or initiatives was to email the people that you knew that were interested in sustainability and figure out what was top of mind for them or top of you know, importance. Mm-hmm. And that makes it sound like it was really just, you know, you thinking, well, who in this company is interested in sustainability versus, you know, an established network or an org chart or something. Is that, is that where things were at that point? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that I got the privilege of of taking on the team from the beginning is that I had already been one of the loudest advocates kind of in my spare time. Um, you know, like I said, I was inspired quite a bit by Adam Gromis, um, our sustainability policy policy lead, and then also working with Michiko Namazu, who's the sustainability policy research data scientist, who I had done a lot of work with as well. Um, working, you know, alongside the two of them, I got to know a lot of folks across the company who were either actively participating in sustainability initiatives or trying to figure out how to break into that. Um, and that kind of gave me a leg up in terms of that, uh, where do we start from where we are? But yeah, there was no org chart. There was no company directory of people working on sustainability. Yeah. And, and, and a company you say, of you know, 20,000 people yeah. taking efforts yeah. to that out. That's great. Um, tell me what are the like what are the key drivers of all of this? Uh, it's you mentioned Uber's got global, uh, you know, goals, but is that the key driver? Is is it uh, regulation? Is it public sentiment? Like what's what's driving this massive? Like I think of uh, sustainability, and I think of a lot of changes that need to happen in corporations, and I think sustainability to me is like. The number one thing that has to happen right now right but there's a lot of changes that could happen and sustainability had like 30 years where nobody was talking about it. nobody people were talking about it but nobody was listening right and then boom in the period of two years a company like uber goes from uh, we're just kind of thinking about it to we're doing it globally like what's causing that change to happen right now well i would say that there's been a similar change in the public and public um, in terms of just sort of the uh, overall sentiment around sustainability and, and climate change and climate action, I think there's been a similar inflection. Um, I would say pretty much directly overlapping that same period of time. I feel like it was around mid 2020. I mean, you know, you recall summer 2020 was was a really big deal in the U.S. in terms of people sort of coming to grips with the um, the systemic racial inequities that we have in our in our society. Um, I can't remember if it was before or after or sort of at the same time that people were also really waking up to the fact that climate change is happening now. It's not an abstraction anymore. It's something that, that's become tangible. Um, so I think it was partly that. Um, but I think that amplified something that had been brewing for a little while, which I mentioned earlier, regulatory risk. Um, and that really is the primary driver that kind of 
put the foot and Uber's collective butt to start moving on this stuff. Um, I mentioned that the EU and the UK were some of the uh, the markets where we were exposed to the most regulatory risk initially. Um, that's expanded and it's continuing to expand. Uh, I actually heard recently that France is on the verge of passing legislation that will require that automotive advertisements um, mention the potential harm to climate caused by internal combustion engines, sort of like smoking cigarettes will, will harm your health. Um, so the fact that we've come to this point in 2022, I think is very holistic, right? It's, it's about public sentiment. It's about regulation. It's about the world kind of waking up to the situation that we're in. So in a sense, yes, it's been rapid, a rapid change for Uber, but I think it's been a rapid change for all of us. And, and we're sort of one part of that, that, that whole story. So it's kind of, a, it's a tipping point, you think? Yeah. To, to Malcolm Gladwellize it. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, maybe tipping off our, our age or how long ago we were in grad school, but I referenced that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sustainability, do you think of sustainability personally as uh, a cost center for companies like Uber or as a potential that's a great growth question. driver? Yeah. Um, I think that's also a good uh a good follow-on to the last question you know, you were saying is this uh, response to regulatory risk or is it a business decision? And I think it's I think it's uh, we're at kind of an inflection point where we're starting to recognize that it's not just about responding to risks and defending against risks, but it's also about opening up new opportunities um, for any given company in any sector. I think if you can demonstrate that the way that you do business is sustainable, whether that means you're reducing the amount of carbon that you emit, whether it means you're uh, you know, wasting less, you're generating less plastic, um, less you know harmful uh, impacts on the environment. If you're you know, say you're mining for lithium for, for EV batteries, for example, um, it, it's becoming a, a differentiator. I think to be able to say um, our company is looking to the future. Therefore, you should invest in us. And I think that that's primarily focused on uh, the, in the investment sphere right now with uh, ESG investment um, becoming increasingly sort of, I don't know that I would say it's the norm, but it's it's something that I think more and more investors are, are paying attention to um, and trying to include ESG in their portfolio. Um, there's also something to be said for consumers. And this is a little bit of a slippery slope because you obviously don't want to greenwash your company if you really do want to make a difference environmentally. Um, but I think that consumers are also getting savvier about what is real environmental action, what's real climate action, and what's lip service. Um, you know, you can rebrand your company and make your logo green, but I think there's fewer consumers who are going to be duped by that than there used to be. So doing things like offering a meaningful way for an individual to reduce their own carbon footprint becomes a differentiator in the coming years. Yep. Uh, Uber is also, I believe, buying or, or investing in uh, trucks, driverless trucks and such and infrastructure. And I think of when I think of growth opportunities and sustainability, I think every company in the world wants to get to net zero uh, as quickly as they can. And if you can help them get to net zero, uh, then you can make a lot of money doing that because there's just, that's a real growth opportunity. So 
maybe Uber's thinking about that. Like I think there's the consumer end of it, which is um, like you say, you want to be careful not to greenwash. But if you can get consumers a uh, a greener ride or whatever, they're gonna like that. And then you can also uh, help, you know, B two B other businesses get to net zero as well. And there's growth opportunities yeah, there. That's that's very much a thing for us. Um, a lot of this is still in development, so I can't talk uh, about the details, but I can say that we have three primary pillars at this point, which include uh, mobility. Um, so the Uber that most of us are familiar with, there's delivery, which is delivery of food, but increasingly other items as well. So we have a service called Uber Direct, where you can order items to be picked up for you um, and delivered to you from any, I don't know if it's any given store, but from, from a similar partners. Um, and, uh, there is also Uber Freight, as you mentioned, and we've recently acquired Transplace, which is a, a huge multinational shipping, um, well, I guess, I guess a brokering firm, actually. Um, there's also Uber for Business, where we offer our services packaged up for, for other businesses to use. So there's a lot of B2B opportunities around the Uber for Business side, around freight, um, and to some extent also on, on delivery, but primarily through Uber for Business. And finding ways to differentiate ourselves for those B2B partnerships is also really critical, especially given that each of those companies is looking to expand their own ESG footprint and to make themselves look more um, palatable to their consumers, both in terms of their, you know, their, their B2C offerings, but then also for their investors. That's right. Um, so Eric, all right, so you've made this incredible pivot from DataViz, which was, a, you know, you had a pretty cool job before you came to Uber. You were uh, Exploratorium, for anybody who doesn't know it, is like uh, the best science museum that I've ever seen uh, in San Francisco. Best job ever. <laughs> yeah, incredibly cool place there. to work. And now you're uh, doing sustainability at you know one of the most interesting companies around. Uh, what would you say for any listeners who are you know listening and thinking? they want to make a pivot like that as well in their company. Like what, what advice would you have for them? I mean, I think there's a couple of different places that people may be coming from if they're not actively working in sustainability, but want to get into sustainability. I think one is the, the person who's looking for a job or a career in sustainability. That's one approach. The other is the person who's trying to figure out how to transform their company into sustainability, uh, into a company that is sustainable. And, and has more of a focus on sustainability. So I was more in the latter role. Um, I know a lot of people who are in both. Uh, as for the former, there's an increasingly large number of organizations that help people get educated on climate action and um, help them understand what kind of careers there are now and what kind of careers they can build in climate action. Companies like um, Terra.do and ClimateBase, ClimateAction.tech, um, I mean, there's others that work on climate. Um, there, there's so many these days. I can't even think of all of them. Um, but these are great educational resources, and they're also communities that people can join um, to help them sort of bootstrap themselves and bootstrap their careers in sustainability. And actually, a little bit unrelated, but on a call yesterday where we were kicking off some of our uh, 2022 sustainability work streams, there is an intern in the UK who introduced herself and said, I'm excited, I'm excited to start my sustainability career at Uber. And hearing somebody say that was, it, it just put a huge grin on my face. And like, this is, this is the future. This is someone who's actually starting their entire life's career, however long their career ends up being, 
focus on sustainability at Uber. That was just not at all a possibility a year ago, even. So that was really motivating and really inspiring to me. And then there's this other cohort of people who I mentioned who are people who are trying to figure out how to turn their companies around, basically. Um, I think it's probably going to be less friction from now moving forward than it was, say, two, three, four years ago because of all the change that we talked about earlier. Um, but there's a couple ways to think about this from my, you know, from my personal experience. One is, again, to partner up with some of those communities that I mentioned earlier. Uh, for, for myself, I actually joined a climateaction.tech cohort, I think in 2018, maybe 2019, um, to talk with others in the tech industry about how they can try to enact sustainability initiatives at the company level in each of their individual companies. Um, so finding ways to connect with communities to sort of build a groundswell within your own company, I think is, is pretty important. Um, but there is another factor that individuals at companies only have so much control over, which is public sentiment and public pressure. Uh, I, I think that that was one of the main things that drove Uber's change. You know, I said regulation and, and public sentiment. Um, and I heard similar stories from, we, we had a guest speaker in our cohort, cohort from both uh, Facebook and also from um, Salesforce. And they both said that the major change that they were able to enact at their companies was due to, for example, Greenpeace protesting. Um, I can't remember the details exactly, but it, you know, it was outside pressure um, saying these companies need to change their processes and their behavior, uh, or we're going to you know, make an example of them to the public. So having that public pressure really, really helps. And that's something that is on, I think, each of us as individuals outside of our jobs to remind corporations that we engage with as consumers, that they have to be responsible. That's, uh, that's the way you hope, this is the way it's supposed to work, right? And so it's nice when it actually does work that way. Yeah, maybe I'm naively too much of a proponent of democracy <laughs> instead of technocracy, but uh, yeah, that's what we hope for. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. Derek. It was great having you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, John.